0: Hey everyone, welcome to your new life blend. I'm Shoshana Hecht, your host, and today I'm delighted to connect with investor, advisor, corporate responsibility expert, serial connector, and my friend, Susan McPherson. Susan is the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a B Corp communications consultancy focused on social impact, a strong theme in her life. And she's the author of The Lost Art of Connecting, about building meaningful relationships in which Susan is truly an expert. It is a wonder to watch her in action as she uplifts others so regularly, me included. I am thrilled to have her here today. Welcome, Susan. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to be here. And congratulations.
1: You have hit like the absolute milestone of podcast world. Incredible.
0: I did not know that. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) I know. I'm honored to be here. I am honored that you said yes. I'm thrilled to get to talk to you. I mean, we talk all the time. But for this purpose, I think you really do embody building a life with intention. But I have to say, I was pretty excited about hitting that milestone. And now we're blowing past that a week later. So it feels exciting to be having these conversations with people. People like yourself who are really walking the talk of how to design a life that works for you and building careers and businesses and relationships around it. So really, Susan, I want to start there. If anyone has done it, it's you. I could tee you up. I mean, a successful business, a thriving social life travels all over the world that are not just about fun, but about really understanding our world and the power of connections broadly. It's kind of badass and amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We'd love to hear about your drivers for all that because there have been moments in your life where you could have really made different choices. You were successfully working at a company for a long time. You didn't have to start a business. You know, it's interesting. Now that I'm 58, you have such an arc to look
1: back over your life and really get a sense in totality of the choices you've made, the good and the bad. I was asked recently what drives me and I have to say, fundamentally, it's a deep curiosity. When I think about where that came I am so grateful that my parents, and this is going to sound very cliche, but it's the truth. From a very early age, they embedded in me this notion that every single person, no matter who they are, no matter where they came from, no matter what role they hold in society, no matter the color of their skin or their religion, is deserved of our care, compassion, kindness, and curiosity. That curiosity has helped me learn not only about the world, about differences in people, in lives in collective experiences, but also learn more about myself. That has given me the impetus to go to all these places. And as you know, my mom was killed in a horrible tragedy when I was 21. Having the worst thing possible happen at such a young age does prepare you to try anything because what's the worst that's going to happen? My late papa had an amazing phrase, which is ridiculous, but he always said, nothing is a prison sentence. Of course, unless it's a prison sentence. (laughs) In other words, it's worth a try. You can always return. So every time I moved from Boston to D.C. to Southern California to Seattle to New York, always in the rearview mirror was, I can go back. I can return. It's still there. And believe me, I still fantasize about after being in New York for 20 years, going and living on Lake Washington and watching the boats just because it's still there. But that gives you a little bit of impetus of what has given me the kind of fearlessness, even though I'm scared of my own shadow.
0: It's an interesting blend to be so brave and so bold and also that you can have insecurities and self-doubt and all that, even though you're willing to take bold, audacious action. Thank you for sharing that. It's really powerful and I relate to it so much. When the worst thing happens in your life, and that has happened at several moments in mind you hate to have to have needed that cold water for me it happened at age 30 so I'd already had all these sort of ways that I was like maybe I should should I shouldn't I you have that cold water where you're like oh stop talking about it It can happen at any moment and the worst thing can and so what do you do one life I always am saying to clients every decision you make it's the right one because it's the one you made so go keep going don't regret you can always pivot you can always course correct you can always evolve and change but why not go and try yeah I love that driver. Anything but a prison sentence. It's amazing. <laughs> Still hear his voice. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Loss is obviously so shaping. It sounds like that really shaped your like just try stuff. But the connection piece of it, I've said it a few times in your intro. Serial connector, I'm here to connect. That is a big value for you. It's the thing.
1: I do also think that also stems from my childhood and don't laugh, but every morning at the breakfast table, my parents would have the five local newspapers splayed out on the table. I would try to find real estate for my bowl of cereal or cinnamon toast. And they would also have yesterday's or the day before's New York Times and Boston Globe because they would come in the mail. So they would come late. So for listeners understanding back then in the 60s and 70s, news was not immediate. They would be sitting there with a razor blade or scissors and clipping and cutting when they saw articles that made them think of other people. They would go to their respective manual typewriters and type short little missives, very similar to what we do today on social media, Instagram, and everywhere else. And off into the mail, these little missives and articles would go. And I thought everybody's parents did that. When they did this, it was filled with intention. It was filled with kindness. It was filled with a reminder that they were thinking of others. Obviously, today, we have every tool in the toolbox to do this every hour of every day. And I'm certain, not suggesting people do that. But as technology became prevalent in our lives, I took what they were doing and made it part of who I was. I do believe probably subliminally that when my mom was killed, I wanted to continue some core part of her and make it part of me. We are all the culmination of our ancestors, our parents, et cetera, our genes, our DNA. But I felt very intentional about this. She went back to work when I was seven, and I resented her for probably 10 years because all my friends had moms at home when they came home from school. And I had a key around my neck that let me in because my siblings were six, seven years older, so they were already out the door. It wasn't until 16 or 17 that I realized she was a high-power executive with public television. And then I was like, hot damn. And she was successful because of the connections she made. It's not like I had this grandmaster plan, but that was something I carry forward. And quite frankly, much easier using the internet, email, WhatsApp, text than what she used to do with the rotary phone. And we didn't even have touchtone phones and her typewriter. I should just say my father taught at a woman's college for 39 years. He stayed in touch, not only with his students, but his students' daughters and his students' granddaughters to the point where it was almost kind of psychotic, but beautiful. Again, these were the inputs, the data that I was receiving every day. So I do think it was a natural. I founded my company at 48. I am now 58. Over the last 10 years, no joke, 90% of the business has been inbound. What that has told me is the meetings, the contacts, the introductions I made in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s were not for naught. And it wasn't like I was sitting there at 25, 35 thinking, well, I'm going to found a company someday and you're going to come and help. I didn't even think about being an entrepreneur. And it was an accident, which we can get into if you want. But it was not part of the master plan. Again, I sound like I'm fearless, but I'm terrified of my own shadow and the thought of running my own business. I guess the moral of the story here is connections really do drive everything. If we think about all the good things that happen in our lives, they happen because of connections.
0: And I have been the recipient when you get a text from Susan, when she's like, this thing made me think of you, you should put your hat in for this, whatever, or you should know this person or this article, whatever. I love receiving those people love to be thought of. So I've definitely have been the recipient of the new version of an article clipping <laughs> with a note <laughs> in the digital mails. You had the imprint, you had really good, strong modeling, and then loss can be such a catalyst for living with intention. 10 years. Congratulations. 10 years of McPherson strategies. What an accomplishment. I think that's right as an entrepreneur to always still feel everybody else knows what they're doing in running a business. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah,
1: House of cards for the first five years.
0: (laughs) Well, you're just figuring it out. You're just figuring it out the whole time. Susan, you're a part of so many stories. We know a lot at this point, lots of people in common. And it's really fun to watch you. You do derive a lot of, it seems like a lot of pleasure. And it is just a deep, deep part of who you are to make connections and to help other people uplift. But those ripple out. And that has to feel super gratifying,
1: too. It's fun. This is going to sound crazy and terrible, but it's my orgasm. When I can make a connection between two people and then the impact that happens from that, it's such a
0: joy to witness. It really, really is. (laughs) We'll have another E for explicit. I don't know if orgasm is explicit, but (laughs) we'll have another E for explicit episode, which is fun. It's a testament. Everything you said about the business being all inbound is a testament to what you have built on
1: purpose. I think. But again, it wasn't part of my intention. I founded my company as a placeholder until I found a job. I never would have named it McPherson Strategies if I thought it was going to become something. It's my ex-husband's name. Now, granted, he's a great guy, but we divorced in 2003. So I probably would have spent a little bit of time to determine a more creative name if I thought it was going to be more than three or four months.
0: I think it's a great name. (laughs) Of course, that's right. I know that that's your ex-husband's name, but I don't think I knew that. (laughs) That's the truth. God on its truth. Yeah, things do happen by accident and not every choice has to be by design, but there is something about the work you're doing that is super deeply connected to your values and is on purpose. So tell us a little bit about the work. Absolutely.
1: We are a firm that focuses solely on the communications of impact. So we work with corporations, NGOs, nonprofits, social enterprises, helping those organizations communicate the good that they are doing. That can be through earned media, digital media, advocacy building, partnership creation, our Our work crosses everything from ocean conservation to abortion rights to the democratization of play and ensuring every child has access to sports fields, playgrounds, coaching, to learning how to discuss death because it's the one common denominator And how do we enter death into the public discourse. I am so grateful that every morning that I wake up, I get to work on such issues because given the times we're living in, it would be really challenging for me to be doing and not to diss on anyone else because every job is important and every person is of value. But there is something comforting to know when we feel like the world is imploding, that we are having just a tiny imprint to make things a little bit better. And I think my team feels that way too. We are now 14, 15, I lose track, and we've been virtual since 2013 when the pandemic hit, at least there was one one minor thing that was like, oh, we got this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I often say that I was work from home, paid Zoom account before the pandemic. I was ready. You are such a visionary. (laughs) I was such a, yeah, you and me both, sister. (laughs) You're so ready. I know you and I know how deeply these issues are in your bones. They're in your DNA. So important. And so to be able to work on them in your professional life, to have your activism rolled up into your work life is powerful. Does it ever get to be like a little much? Oh, yeah. Lots of (laughs) times. And what do you do about that?
1: Well, I think anyone who runs a consulting or an agency, it's a lot. Your brain has to be able to shut off with one turn to the other. But you deal with this because you have clients in different walks of life and you have to get very good at compartmentalizing. But at least in our work, many of these issues now we know are intersectional. Even if we're talking about climate justice, we know that intersects with women's rights. We know that intersects with ocean conservation. So in some ways, the skills can be transferable. The knowledge can be transferable. We work with the Women's Philanthropy Institute. We also work with Maverick, which is essentially a giving consortium that Melinda French Gates founded years ago that, again, we can borrow from one and take to the other. So as head spinning, as I made it probably sound, there are some commonalities and shared traits between each but the heaviness does get hard. Working on helping change the trajectory we're going on reproductive rights in this country is horribly
0: demoralizing. But what choice do we have? Talk about transferable skills and tools, right? What you do in your business and the dots you just connected, and I think the dots you're connecting for clients and for your team and helping to uplift clients. I also think you're applying that to your personal life because you have a robust and thriving personal life, social life. I've watched them mobilize around you at different times. You've had surgery, health stuff, Phoebe, I'll just say the name of your beloved pet who passed suddenly, terribly. Watching that, what you've built for yourself, you're really applying those, I hate to make it sound mechanical, mechanical tools, but they are intentional. I think when we help others,
1: the help comes back. And I think sometimes help gets a negative connotation because we often think by helping others, we're not taking the oxygen mask first, but also the realization that we can't be helpful all the time. I'm certainly not suggesting that, but somehow stepping up and helping
0: others almost always The help comes back almost always. I think that's true. I think that's mostly true. (laughs) And then we learn when it doesn't. We learn and we evolve. We learn what that means for us. Entrepreneur on accident. Any regrets about that? What would you do differently? God, probably a
1: million things.
0: (laughs) I probably think I would have studied a little bit more about entrepreneurship
1: (laughs) before launching. Piece of wisdom for a listener. I will say the one error I didn't do, which actually I think is an important nugget for people who are considering starting businesses, especially women. And mind you, this is somewhat of a generalization, but I had had a paycheck since I was 15. At 48, I'm starting this thing. All of a sudden, I'm just getting paid when people want to pay me. Yeah, hmm. And it was terrifying. And I had bag lady syndrome where I was going to be out in the cold. And I was living with my significant other at the time who was not contributing. So the onus was on me to continue our livelihood. I had a tendency at the beginning to hoard, meaning the money coming in, I was just gonna put in the bank and save for a rainy day. And a very wise sustainability consultant, Jacqueline Ottman, had coffee with me about six months in, and she said, Susan, this is when you want to spend. This is when you want to bring people around you to do the things that need to get done so that you can be doing what you're good at, being out cultivating, building connections, supporting others. It went against the grain of thinking, But that is when I started bringing people aboard. And honestly, I really think that that was a key driver in the success.
0: What's interesting to me about that as an entrepreneur, it took me also a long time to get there. For me, it was I spent six hours trying to fix a broken link on the back end of my website that would have taken somebody six seconds to fix. That was like the final wake up call. People have been telling me like, you need support, you need support and staying in your zone of genius as much as you can afford it. The team is like the thing. As a connector, you know in your bones the value of a. T- and support. And so that's really interesting to me to hear that even you, who has that in yourselves, was really pressed at that moment. Your initial question about
1: what I would have done better, I probably would have brought on a financial advisor sooner to help me structure. But again, you have to remember, I was coming at this that this was a short-term thing. I didn't have that kind of long-term vision. It was in 2019 that I moved everyone from being contractors to full-time employees. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I was facing a massive change in the organization and how I was looking forward to the future.
0: But not because of the pandemic.
1: No, no. This was before I'd started meeting with the law firms, dealing with all the paperwork that you need to do when you are transitioning your business from what was more of a shell of
0: 10, 20, w, W-2s. W, I always get them 1099s, excuse me. Consultants, contractors, part-timers. Contract, yeah, yeah. And moving them on to like full-time, part-time W-2, becoming a real, she's the air quotes, company. Yeah. Going into the pandemic, what pivots had the impact of that on your life design and, of course, the business, I'm sure? So many things.
1: I went through a breakup from a toxic relationship in 2014. And from 2014 to the pandemic, I used to deal with my demons and my fears and my loneliness by traveling. Hence, when you mentioned early in our conversation about going to the far front parts of the world. I would have gone to the moon if I could. I haven't been able to get a ticket on Virgin Galactica yet. But I went to incredible, amazing places and much of it volunteer work for nonprofits that I supported and boards I served on. But when the pandemic hit, that door was shut. Luckily, I had an amazing furry companion who kept me company. We ended up walking, I can't remember the exact distance, but during the pandemic to Idaho and back in terms of distance. So Phoebe and I used to walk anywhere from seven to nine miles a day. And that was my sanity because I live alone. I don't have parents. I don't have kids. I don't have a partner. And by getting out with her, I saw people. We talked to people. She was very much like Norm on cheers. And every single person she would see, she would go up to them, say hello to them, kiss them, act like She's their best friend. Not everyone loved it, but it got me conversing with people that perhaps I would never have. And that was my tonic, my solvency through the entire time. It was hard. On the same token, my company actually doubled in size during the pandemic. There was now a renewed and new attention on all the things that are wrong with our society and therefore the need to start dealing with them and talking about them. So being a communications firm, we became very much in hot demand circles of organizations that were really strategically trying to be better, to talk better, to engage better. So it was very much good and bad. And then I had a number of health issues. I think four hospital stays in two years. I lost half my hair and Phoebe, who
0: had major surgery herself. It was a lot. It was.
1: (laughs) Oh, and my book got published. So
0: I was just going to mention that. And you published your book, which is all about the lost art of connection and in the throes of when we became super isolated. I remember so many of your talks where you were like, how do we apply this to the virtual world that we're leaning into right now, which was super helpful for people. Do you want to talk about the book a little bit? Like, where are things at?
1: I started writing the book in February of 2020. And then March of 2020, of course, the world shut down. And the book was published in 2021. Now, writing and publishing a book is hard hard, arduous, but it's also an incredible opportunity and a privilege. I would not recommend publishing a book during a pandemic. None of the getting to go to a bookstore and book sign, none of that happened. I had to take the joys through the interwebs. But I will say the beautiful thing is, is because of the pandemic, the topic has become timely. I am still doing book talks now. And what I think we've seen is for organizations, for companies, for any type of enterprise, connections are no longer a soft skill. They actually help the organization thrive. Study after study now is showing if you have friends at work, if you are happy at your job, which generally comes when you have good relationships, you're going to be that much more productive. You're going to refer people to join the company company and retention is going to be higher. All of a sudden, oh, the last start of connecting is kind of an important integral way. So I've been blessed. And I finally got to do a book talk in real life, which was extraordinarily exciting. I was like, where's the screen?
0: (laughs) I've been to so many book talks at your home. You have this amazing space for events and you use it like nobody's business to uplift other people, like giving spaces to people to have events and to have visibility that they would not have without you and that offer. And so for the world to shut down. The irony of that, the sick irony of that is really in relief when you mention it like that. I always go back to this long-term study. I saw it on 60 Minutes 10 years ago where they studied the greatest, oldest people in like leisure world in Orange County and what helped them live cognitively well to a hundred, into the hundreds was at the heart of it. A little bit of exercise, 30 minutes of walking, a few times a week, more didn't have a better impact. But the biggest thing was connection, having a healthy social life, being happy. That makes so much sense to me that of course at work where we spend so much of our time that we would wanna lean into that. That and bring in experts like you to help us shore our skills. It's incredible. I do want to share with you that I relate to the latchkey kid thing because my mother did a PhD at age 40 and I was in high school. So she finished at like age 42 and she tells the story, and I do remember this, where she had said like, I will be done. I will be submitting the thing at 3 p.m. on this date and we will bake a cake together. And she tells a story about how I was standing in the dining room because she had her whole dissertation on top of the dining room table. And I'm there in an apron with my watch and I was done. Like I wanted my mother's attention. So I feel you. But also now I look back. Back. so proud of her. What a role model what a
1: badass she was. Your mom, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, when I was five, my dad did
1: a Fulbright scholarship in Romania and packed my family up to go live in Bucharest. And this was 1970 when Bucharest, in case anybody from Romania is listening to it, it's a beautiful city, but, you know, it definitely was not as far along as other Eastern European capitals. And because my dad wasn't with the State Department, we lived in an apartment building alongside Romanian folks. And it was one bedroom for five of us. So my brother and sister slept on the couch or the rollout couch. But I'll never forget my mom, suburban mom, carrying on where if we wanted chicken for dinner, the woman upstairs had to literally slaughter it and defeather it. <laughs> and this is a crazy memory, but one of the chickens had eggs still inside and we were all grossed out by it. But evidently in Jewish custom, either good luck or, and forgive me for not knowing my Jewish mores, but it was like something from her childhood. And I still, this memory of this woman, so excited. Anyhow, I digress, but it it was magical, but I didn't eat the eggs. You did. <laughs> We're <laughs> talking just, about your mom. I don't know. And the cake yeah. it just made me think of the eggs. Yeah,
0: it's like these sense memories for sure. And all these ways that they are modeling and showing us the way in so many ways. And the way that you are modeling and showing us the way with connection and just watching the ripples effects. We're in communities together. And always when someone has a question or needs connection, you're always first in line to try and help. And it's so inspiring. Where can people connect with you and learn more about your genius and wisdom and watch you (laughs) uplift others?
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. I am so honored and I was so looking forward to this. On the interwebs, you can find me at Susan McP1. My company is McPherson Strategies, which is McPstrategies.com. And the book, Lost Art of Connecting, can be found wherever books are sold. Awesome. We're going to link
0: to all that in the show notes. Susan, thank you for being here. And thank you everyone for listening. This has been your new life blend. I'm Shoshana Hecht reminding you as ever to be gentle with yourself.